You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, thanks for joining us on this wonderful, lovely day after Sunday. Uh, happy Monday uh, to you and yours. Uh, we have an awesome show uh, planned for you. Royce White will be first up, our first fearless soldier we call into battle, uh, followed by Dave Shannon and then Steve Kim. Uncle Jimmy will be here with an approval rating for us at the end of the show. Uh, I just want to get straight to my fire uh, because the New York Times did something unprecedented in my view, and it, it's it's got me nearly apoplectic. Uh, so let's just get to it. This weekend, uh, the New York Times unloaded more than 20,000 words arguing that Tucker Carlson host what, quote, may be called the most racist show in the history of cable news. As a somewhat regular guest on Tucker Carlson tonight the past two years, I found the description shocking and offensive. Guess what, guys? I, I'm black. I've spent the past decade of my career at ESPN, Fox Sports, and now at The Blaze, building media platforms that showcase black content creators. I volunteer to appear on Carlson's show the only cable news program I watch on a nightly basis. In the past year, Carlson's show has utilized two black contributors from my show, Delano Squires and Royce White. Off air, I frequently exchange ideas and friendly banner with Carlson via text. I've dined with Carlson in Florida and came away impressed with his intellect, authenticity, and passion. The New York Times claimed it analyzed virtually every episode of Tucker Carlson Tonight since its Fox News inception. America's newspaper of record, the alleged bastion of journalistic integrity, framed Carlson as the most racist man in modern TV history without quoting a single black person and apparently without probing a single black person who contributes to his show. If Tucker Carlson is the grand wizard of cable news, the New York Times story insinuates that black and white contributors to his show participate in nightly cross burnings and lynchings. An editor at the Times should have instructed one of the nine reporters assigned to the Carlson stories to interview Carlson's unwitting co-conspirators, especially black ones. Nicholas Confessor, a regular contributor to Fox News, competitor MSNBC, wrote the main two stories that attempted to assassinate Carlson's character and reputation. The Times listed eight other reporters 
as contributing to the three-part series. Nine reporters couldn't find one black person with something relevant and worthy to say about a show that and a man who are supposedly racially radicalizing millions of Americans. Did they even look? Or do black lives only matter when their dead bodies can be used to argue that America is irredeemably racist and oppressive? The New York Times series impugned my character. I'm sure other regular contributors to Carlson's show feel the same way. Is Glenn Greenwald, who is one of the best and most courageous journalists on the planet, is he a tool of white nationalism? For years, Greenwald, a white Jew, was a darling of left-wing media platforms. In the post-Trump presidency era, Greenwald's steadfast commitment to reporting truth has made him persona non grata at MSNBC, CNN, and NPR. Glenn Greenwald is gay. He's married to an Afro-Brazilian, a man of color. Greenwald appears on Carlson's show almost once a week. Greenwald's thoughts on the alleged bigotry of Carlson's show would be fascinating. So would Victor Davis Hanson. Hanson, a senior fellow at Stanford and one of this country's most brilliant minds, is a former Democrat and a former respected voice at the New York Times. Is he now just a tool of Tucker Carlson tonight's white supremacy? Am I? I mean, seriously, I'm no mystery to the New York Times. I've been profiled fairly twice in the pages of the New York Times. Once in 2010, when I noisily left the Kansas City Star after 16 years, and a second time in 2015, when ESPN appointed me to lead the Undefeated, a media platform designed to analyze sports, race, and culture. Given the projects I've been involved in, ESPN's The Undefeated, Fox Sports' Speak for Yourself, and now Fearless with Jason Whitlock, it's awfully difficult to suggest that I'm anti-black. If so, my career choices and actions are at odds with my alleged animus towards black people. The New York Times thinks so little of me, Delano Squires, and Royce White, that it apparently didn't cross the minds of one reporter or editor to ask us why we would contribute to the most racist show in cable news history. I'm not thirsty to appear on Fox News or any cable news network. When I was younger, before CNN and MSNBC shied away from diversity of thought, I regularly appeared on all the major cable news networks. Now the only network that invites me on is Fox News. The only show I make it a priority to appear on is Tucker's. The show is smart. He allows me to express my biblical worldview. I get to say Jesus when I want to and when it's appropriate. I get to remind people that America and Western civilization are founded on biblical principles and that those principles are worthy of defense. I like Carlson's show because it is not hostile towards Christian values and it regularly features guests and segments that defend Judeo-Christian culture. The New York Times spent 20,000 words trying to convince readers 
that the success of Carlson's show is because it appeals to white bigots. I watch it because it appeals to me as a Christian and a proud American. I believe in this country. I believe in the documents that founded this country. I believe the Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution are responsible for black people in America having the highest standard of living and safety of any black people on earth. I'm concerned that politicians, global corporations and institutions, such as the New York Times, want to rewrite the U.S. Constitution into a secular document that does not adequately protect individual freedom or a system of governance that allows for class mobility. The Times posited that Carlson's show is racist because he constantly complains about a ruling class, shifting gender roles, discrimination against white people, the destruction of society, and America's laissez-faire approach to illegal immigration. Let me restate, I'm black. I believe there is a ruling class, a cabal of global elites selling this country out to China. As a career-long sports journalist, I can easily see China's impact on American culture just by following the NBA. I'm frustrated by shifting gender roles. I'm bothered that biological men are being allowed to compete in women's sports. I don't like discrimination. The race of the victim is irrelevant to me. The fact that a white man pushes back against the discrimination he feels is directed at him does not surprise me. The New York Times published a series of stories, the 1619 Project, aimed at portraying white men and this country as the worst plague to hit Earth. Should anyone be surprised a white man is fighting back and that white men are? Given the breakdown of American family structures, it's also not surprising that a married father of four, Tucker Carlson, would decry the destruction of society. Christians, which I am one, believe the nuclear family is at the foundation of an orderly society. And as for illegal immigration, I don't have a black, brown, or white friend who is for it. Mass illegal immigration does make America poorer and dirtier. Carlson stated that on his show in 2018. The New York Times opened its three-part series on Carlson, offering that statement as proof of Carlson's runaway bigotry. Tucker Carlson Tonight is popular because there are millions of Americans, black and white, who believe there are powerful corporate, media, political, entertainment, and institutional forces working to redirect this nation away from its biblical founding. The New York Times wants anyone uncomfortable with this new direction to believe it's their racism, not common sense, that's making them uneasy. That's my fire. I want to play this video to hammer, because one of the New York Times big building block that they built this whole story around was Tucker Carlson in 2018 says, 
that uh, illegal, mass illegal immigration makes America poor and dirtier, and boy, oh boy, is, is, is he racist. And they further go on, a lot of the story was built on uh, the replacement theory, that Tucker Carlson goes on TV and says that, hey, uh, Democrats are pro-illegal immigration because they want to change the demographics of the United States so that they will be permanently in power. And so his argument and other people's argument is like, there's this big demographic shift going on in America and it's going to empower democratic rule moving forward. They somehow like him making that observation and other people making that observation. Well, that proves he's racist. And how dare he say that a bunch of poor people flooding our borders and coming into this country illegally, uh, how dare he say that makes our country poor and dirtier? That That's unbelievable racism, he must be stopped. I, I found this, or it was sent to me, uh, this video from I think 2020 or 2021 of, of I think it's, the guy's name is Michael Anton, and, and he was talking about the 2020 election and just the demographic shift that's going on in America and how one group can talk about it and be celebrated for it. But if conservatives or white men talk about it and say, hey, man, uh, they're bringing in all these illegal immigrants to uh, undermine my vote and my ability uh, to control America. So let's play the clip. There was a famous book that came out in 2002 by left liberal political scientists or commentators called the Emerging Democratic Majority. And it basically said, because of demographics, the Democrats will soon have a majority and isn't that great. It's Judas and Tashera. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, I think the thesis of the book is correct. They maybe predicted, uh, maybe their prediction took longer to happen, to unfold, than they, than, they, than they thought. But the basic trend line is correct. So here's the thing. If you are in favor of a permanent Democratic electoral majority, then it's, it, it's, it's a fact. You can say this is happening and isn't it great for our side. But if I say the same exact thing, they're about to get a permanent blue majority. It's called a conspiracy theory. It's a lie. It's me hate-mongering and fear-mongering. And I, I, the, the thesis is denied. And I get attacked as a bad person for saying the exact same thing that people who want this to happen say and are celebrated for it and, and the thesis is affirmed, right? So I think that's exactly what happened is that 2016, they thought Hillary would win, that de you know, um, demographics were on their side, you know, they were on the right side of history to use Barack Obama's um, famously oft-repeated phrase, except he more often said wrong side of history. But if there's a wrong side, there's a right side, right? And so they thought we have the coalition of the future we can't lose this election and, you know, the future, you know, we're, we are the future in a sense that, you know, these new economies, um, uh, new types of businesses, new types of social arrangements that predominate in the blue coasts uh, and in university towns and places like that are supplanting forever old, staid, boring, but also, you know, racist and bigoted, uh, outmoded middle America. And then, you know, the, the, you know all their, their social arrangements, their industries, everything about this, you know, the kind of flyover country was the past. And we were the coalition of the future. And, and 2016 I, I, was an unbelievable shock. 
to a lot of people who were certain, not just that Hillary was going to win, but that that coalition was, that the, the thesis of the 2002 book had finally come into its own and the victory would be permanent. And I think that explains a lot of the hysteria over the last three and a half years and counting. So let me explain one phrase he kept using, social arrangements. What he's talking about, in my view, hate to put words in his mouth, is the destruction of the nuclear family and the promotion of the LGBTQ agenda. The, 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 there are people that justify, and I'm one of them, that believe through immigration and the gender shifts that the New York Times is complaining, that Tucker Carlson keeps complaining about, is that between the, the mass immigration and the conversion recruitment of young people to the LGBTQ lifestyle, that that's going to give Democrats a supermajority. That's their new coalition. Illegal immigrants granted citizenship uh, through some microwave process and the LGBT. And Tucker Carlson and his show represent biblical values. Again, he's not over the top with it, but he allows people like me to come on and others who have a pronounced biblical worldview and express that. And they're sick and tired of it. And they want you to think, oh my God, Jason Whitlock, Delano Squires, Royce White, uh, Glenn Greenwald, who doesn't have a biblical worldview, but as far as I know, I don't think he does. Uh, but, but anybody that engages with Tucker Carlson and supports a biblical worldview, well, they're racist and they're the evil people you can't trust. If they're black, they're sellouts. And we, we don't have, you don't, we won't engage with them. We won't talk about, them, we won't platform them. And so you don't either. And so they write 20,000 words or more, three different parts, some kind of information graphic thing that went on and on and on forever. And I read it all because I wanted to be thorough. And I was like, you're not going to ask any black people or any of the, uh, Glenn Greenwald is as celebrated and an accomplished a journalist as there's ever been. Victor Davis Hanson is as bright and accomplished uh, uh, a professor, academic, historian as there's ever been. As a sports journalist, my career stands up against any other sports journalist. The work that I've done, the things that I've helped build, but no, let's don't ask Jason Whitlock a word. Let's don't ask Victor Davis hand. Let's don't ask, why are you associating with the most racist uh, show in cable news history? We're not even worthy of a voice in a story that mad. You can't say they didn't have room to squeeze it in. It wasn't some 1500 word piece with limited space. This thing went on and on and on forever. It's not journalistically sound. It's not remotely interested in fairness. The piece is satanic, and it, it's really, they're attacking Tucker Carlson to mask just how secular the New York Times is and their agenda 
to basically remove all biblical principles from the United States of America and biblical principles are being defined in America and people are falling for it. These biblical principles are being defined as the source of evil and everything that's wrong with America and it's just the opposite. Royce White, uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, I'm going to start here. I just, I, I, your reaction to the allegation that his show is the most racist show in cable history. It, it's just absurd. I mean, look, this, this is the three card Monty information culture war that I've been talking about since my first time on the show. And it's part of the reason why uh, I've waged a, a one man uh, battle or war against the Democrat platform, which is, is a conduit for this globalist uh, authoritarian secular movement. And, you know, I'll say it again, as I've said before, and I think it's important because what this piece exemplifies and the piece that was done earlier in the week on me in the Washington Post is a is a strategy that they have in mind and they believe it works and it has proven to work. That if we say something enough times, the people who get their information tacitly will believe it. Um, and and so I'm going to repeat some something that I've said often because I think our audience needs to hear this. This history of black people. What what happened to black people here in America is being used to deconstruct and destroy America, the idea of America, America as the threat against a simultaneous story that they're running about Jews, World War II, the Holocaust and what happened there to Jewish people to promote, encourage and justify new world order and globalism. Royce, let, let me follow up on the excellent points you made in, in terms of like how they're using the African-American journey, what happened to Jewish people during World War II to undermine our belief in our biblical founding, our founding documents and, and th this globalist agenda. I'm, and again, you keep making that point. I make the point. What's it going to take? What more do we need to do? And, and one of the things what, why I think you're important and there is great synergy between this Washington Post story is because w when black people like you boldly get involved in politics on the Republican side and then take that message directly to black people, directly to their communities, I think that's the important step that has been missing, and that's why I think the Republican establishment needs to wrap their arms around guys like yourself that are willing to, to walk that journey and to do that hard work. Uh, I'm gonna say a few of the quiet parts out loud today, okay? And, and some of it has to do with the Republican Party. Some of it even has to do with Fox News. And, and I like Tucker's show, and I like Tucker, but to be quite honest, he's one of the last of the Mohicans over there. OK, and we'll get to that in a moment. But yes, I think that by and large in, in the greater public, there is an opportunity and a desire to heal the wound of black America between black people and white people. I see that. I feel that every day here in Minnesota, locally in my community. But but with the feedback that I get from all across the country, there is a deep desire to heal the open wound that does exist with black people in this country. There is a third party that doesn't want to heal that wound. Black people and Jewish people together. 
have the opportunity to stand up right now and condemn the bourgeois, the, the bourgeoisie and the and the secular elites of our own community and say we are not in support of their misuse, misappropriation of our of our historical uh, reality in pursuit of this globalist, authoritarian, neoliberal agenda. And we have to do that. Now, there are black people that are stepping up and doing that. Simultaneously, there are Jewish people across this country and across the world that are starting to speak out against this secular Jewish elite. And I bring that up because, you know, in, in my piece, they made reference to my comments about David Stern. And they and they referenced him being Jewish. In the Star Tribune, when I first announced that I was going to run, they said that globalism was a dog whistle for anti-Semitism. So tell me who you can't criticize, and I'll tell you who controls you. For us as black people, there's a set of elite, ruling class, black, bourgeoisie sellouts who we're not allowed to criticize, okay? But also, for all people, we are not allowed to say anything pertaining Jewish history or present day culture as it pertains to global issues. And the reality is there's a split in the Jewish community, in the Jewish people, just like there's a split amongst us black people, just like there's a split amongst Latinos. And sometimes there's a, a third and fourth division even. But there is a rising amount of Jewish people in our country and around the world who are not in agreement or alignment with this secular Jewish elite proliferation and plan for our country and for this world. Mm. You did say the quiet parts out loud. P part of my belief system, just personally, it's like every problem I have, I look here first. And so as a black pundit and commentator, I tend to speak more directly to us and say, hey, we're in control. And so if we boldly uh, call out our own for misusing our history and for uh, using it to promote an agenda that will not, it will harm the great mass of black people, in no way help the great mass of black people. If we do that, what, what I say is like, you gotta be the change you wanna see. And yeah. so I think by being that change, it will inspire perhaps what you're saying, Jewish people from within their own community to say, hey, we got to stand up and follow Royce White, a Jason Whitlock, a Delano Squires. Uh, we got to be just as bold and manly as they are. It's already begun. OK, some of my top advisors since I've jumped into this political arena, not before, but since I've jumped into this arena in the last three months, some of my most trusted and top advisors are God fearing Jewish people. They're right around me every day. We talk. We discuss these things that are going around, going on around the world. And the, listen, the four biggest issues facing black America, truly abortion, immigration, globalism. OK, and I would say also the welfare state. OK, those are the four biggest issues facing us in this country. And there's no doubt about that. If you if you're a black person in this country and you support abortion at the scale and scope that this liberal uh, establishment has promoted it. How could you say that you're pro-black? Every time a black child is lost, we have taken a piece of us away from the future. Now, guess what? The same thing is true of Jewish people. How can you be pro-Jewish 
and 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 be pro-abortion. It, it, the two don't go together. If you're going to say that human rights and life are the predicate for our modern political worldview, then to allow life to occur and take its natural course is is the linchpin of that ideology. But Jewish people, a secular Jewish elite, a scientific uh, engineering uh, uh, globalist elite, along with black bourgeoisie and many people from many other ethnic uh, ethnicities and creeds from around the world are really anti-human. And the anti-human uh, impetus is anti-God. It's very clear to see. They want to make that a conspiracy, which is why they equated Christianity with conspiracy in my piece in the Washington Post. And they're trying to say the same thing of Tucker. If you let people come on and say anything about God, conservatism or nationalism, which links back to Christianity and Judeo-Christian worldview, then you are our enemy. And they've, drew, they've drawn the line very clear. The problem is on our side, we don't want to say the quiet part out loud. We don't want to say that in some respects, Fox News wants to dance around the Jewish question. They don't, they don't want to say that there is a Jewish question. They've bent the knee to this Jewish question, and I won't do it. There are no conversations that we can't have. I can, with full confidence, call out black bourgeois elite sellouts like Barack Obama for their complicity, for their co-conspirated, uh, for their co-conspiring in this anti-human agenda. But as a black man, I can't say anything about Jewish people, or else I'm anti-Semitic. And if you if you read if you read what's going on with this war in the Ukraine closely over the weekend, Israel condemned one of the prime ministers or one of the the top officials of Russia for saying that Adolf Hitler had Jewish blood. And that and, and what he said was, you'll find that some Jewish people are the most enthusiastic anti-Semites. And and I and I looked I looked at the comment and I went, wow, that's that's explosive. But I see the truth in it because some black people are the most enthusiastic anti-black folks. So these are the quiet parts that you are not supposed to be able to say out loud. And if we stand a chance, a fighting chance at restoring our national honor, our sacred honor, saving this country, but, but setting us on the right track as a society and civilization across the world, there are no people who we cannot name. This is not a comment against Jewish people as a whole. This is to say that a small select group of Jewish people, just like black people, have taken a historical narrative and used it to run roughshod and promote anti-humanism. Said a mouthful. I'm going to have to marinate on that. I want to ask you one final little point in, in, in my uh, column and in, in my mono. I, I really, one of my big takeaways from the story is like, they have cleverly taken the word racism and made it a cold word for Christian patriot. If you're a Christian patriot, if you Christian worldview and love America, it doesn't matter what color you are, you're a racist. That, that was my number one takeaway from reading all of this story and, and everything, they're telling everybody. If you believe this stuff, if you believe mass illegal immigration is a problem, if you believe gender fluidity is a problem, if, if, if you believe crime is a problem, any of this, you're a racist. And if, if you think the founding documents 
are something to be respected and responsible for the success of America, you're a racist. And, and so now that just anytime people hear the word racist, they go, oh yeah, that's a, a, a Christian patriot. Someone that loves America, has Christian values, that person's racist. Look, the whole scam here is to create a, a, a cultural narrative that suggests that this far left liberal ideology or this growing globalist movement is somehow anti-establishment. They're not anti-establishment. When you, when you seek to merge the corporation and the state at the global scale, it's the ultimate form of corporatism and it will bring the ultimate form of enslavement. In order to, in order to achieve that, America is one of the only nations, one of the only sovereign nations that's constitution has God-given freedom baked in that says the freedom is bestowed upon you by an authority higher than man or government. They want man and government to be the highest form of authority until, as they say openly, the technology allows for artificial intelligence to become the highest form of authority. And that's exactly what's going on in China. In China, they are allowing artificial intelligence, uh, artificial intelligence algorithms to be their court. They are prosecuting crimes through by the they are prosecuting crimes in public based on facial recognition and social credit score it's on its way america and our second amendment are the last bastion of hope against that type of form of government spreading throughout the world and these globalists like it that way now what they now what they don't understand is president xi is interested in being a globalist so far as china is the center of the globalist vision He's really a nationalist. He's an ethno-nationalist. There's nobody more racist than the Chinese. The Chinese believe that the Chinese identity and the Chinese people have a mandate from heaven. Their religion is their ethnicity. You could say the same about Jewish people. There are only few explicitly ethno-national states in the entire world. China, Japan's one, North Korea's one, Israel's one, right? So, I mean, when we're talking about ethno, and that's, that's the quiet part out loud is when the liberals talk about ethno-nationalism, they skip over Israel often. Now, th now there, are some, there are some self-hating white liberal anti-Jews who talk about the sovereignty of Israel in a demeaning way because they're just self-loathing, right? They just hate themselves. So in effect, they hate Jewish people as well. But, but my point is there are triple crosses and quadruple crosses happening in this culture and info war and I know it's sensitive material, but these are the things that we have to begin to say out loud so we can pull apart the layers and layers and layers of historical precedent for where we've ended up today. And guess what? For those people who don't want to have that conversation and take the time to sort that out, then I'm just going to default to whether you believe in God or don't or not. Either we're going to take the time to sort these layers and layers out of historical basis for where we've ended up today. Or my default is, do you believe or don't you? Thank you, Royce. Awesome job as always. Uh, let me tell you guys about my good friends at Good Ranchers. This summer is quickly approaching and our friends over at Good Ranchers are here to help provide the great food that is needed to have a great time. They will provide the best beef that's been grass fed and grain finished better than organic chicken and high quality seafood that your local grocery store can't compete with. Good Ranchers only sources and sells 100% American meat. You order it and they send it right to your door. It's just that simple. And guess what? 
You can beat inflation with Good Ranchers. Once you subscribe, your best price is locked in for life. Get your $30 discount on prime steaks and better than organic chicken. Go to GoodRanchers.com fearless to save on the quality you've been looking for. Use my code fearless and enjoy your box of 100% American meat and your $30 savings. Order now to combat inflation with Good Ranchers. American meat delivered. You guys know I love Good Ranchers. You know it's what I suggest for all fearless soldiers. All right, uh, stick around. Chocolate Knox, the Idaho potato. Dave Shannon, next. All right, welcome back. Uh, let's roll out to uh, Idaho and bring in... Uh, I don't know what I would call it. I, I call him the Idaho potato, but he's the father of seven. I'm going to start calling him Father Knows Best. If I if someone remind me of the name of the father in the TV, this is an old school TV show from the 1960s, I think, Father Knows Best. Uh, but but that's my new nickname for uh, Dave Shannon. He's the father of seven. Uh, he and his wife are the two busiest people I know on the planet. Uh, <laughs> Dave... Uh, welcome back to the show, and uh, I, man, we got a major one here. The, the attack on Tucker Carlson, I think w when I look at this level of attack, and, and I, I, I just think it speaks to how important he must be and what a thorn in the side he must be uh, of the other side. Uh, and so I, I kind of want to just start there. Is is Tucker Carlson the most important TV newsman uh, since Walter Cronkite? I, I think he's clearly the, the most important one of this era. Oh, yeah, that's no doubt about it, Jason. Actually, I would even say that what we just saw happen with Tucker Carlson is probably this whole hit piece is even more important than Elon Musk and Twitter. I think we need to pay very close attention to this because what we just saw happen here with Tucker Carlson's hit piece is the fact that they're going after the people who bring you the information and the news and the facts versus going after the platform. It's one thing to have a table to, to be butchering up an animal on. It's a whole nother thing to go out and hunt and find the animal and kill it and bring it to the table. Tucker, is a, he's a journalist. He's basically what uh, Edmund Burke would call uh, the fourth estate, right? He, so we have these um, four different estates, okay? We have uh, the wealthy and the powerful. That's kind of our po political area. We also have uh, the clergy. That's another estate. And then the third estate would be the general population, right? And these estates can sometimes, as they're walking down the road, not communicate to, with each other and creates havoc. Well, there's this fourth estate that Edmund Burke talked about, which was the journalists. And the journalists are the ones who hold the mortar between the bricks of all of these different estates so that we actually are able to communicate between these different estates as well as understand as a general population what's going on in these other estates. And so what we see with the New York Times is to try and remove the mortar out from within this, this, these other estates so that we can see the full collapse of the society. So remember, they first came after pastors. 
Then they came after comedians and now they're coming after journalists. Everybody should be as alarmed about this and as concerned and talking about this as much as they were talking about Elon Musk and Twitter, because this is actually part of the fabric that holds society together. Journalists have a job, Jason, to find the truth, to tell the truth, to speak the truth. And Tucker Carlson has been doing that for a very, very long time. And it's amazing to me <laughs> as I was reading through the article I was trying to find, you know, usually in uh, you're a journalist, so you know when you write your article, your your footnotes and your how you can track what's going on with what you stated in the beginning of the article is usually in your last couple paragraphs, right? It's not there. There's no facts of what they're calling Tucker his racism, whatever. It's like this, it's not there. And so I went through and I was like, well, what is it that they're mad at him about? The things they stated at the top of some of these articles they were mad about was the ruling class. Well, yeah, we we saw that with our own eyes. We saw. The dossier. We saw Hunter Biden. We saw Nancy Pelosi wearing, not wearing a mask and telling everybody else to wear a mask. We saw the whole last um, pandemic during the pandemic, all the elites and what they were allowed to do and what we as general population of people were allowed to do. And Tucker was calling that out. What, where were the where was the times at on that? You know, and so what was the other thing to complain about? Oh, yeah. Replacement theory. They want us not to believe with our very own eyes that we don't see people running across the border. Freely? Of course we see it. All Tucker is doing is saying, here, look at it. It's happening. The very thing they say isn't happening is the thing. We saw the hordes of people marching over bridges from Mexico trying to get to the American border. You don't want me to believe that's the issue? We saw the, the destruction of our society. Abortion is sky high right now. It's ridiculous. We're killing off our children. 60 million babies. And then... We watched them burn down our cities. And then we saw politicians tell us, hey, you know what? This is just reparations. That's all this is. This is just reparations for the unheard. And so this, these people are just getting – we've been seeing this with our own eyes. And the New York Times is saying this is what Tucker Carlson is, is doing, is pointing all these things out. And that's bad. That's racist. But hold on a second. You want me to renounce reality. Tucker Carlson is comporting with reality. The very things that we're seeing are the things that he's telling us. And so it's not like we're some huge Tucker Carlson fans. Tucker Carlson is doing his job as a journalist, pointing out the evidence that's there. And they want us to renunciate reality because he's doing it. Are you insane? I think, Jason, this is hilarious to me because I don't think they know what they've done. What they've done is put a spotlight on Tucker Carlson. A good spotlight, because guess what everybody's going to do this week, Jason? They're going to go watch Tucker Carlson. <laughs> That's what everybody's going to do. The most racist show on television. I got to see that. <laughs> what? That's what everybody's going to go burning. do. Let's go see the Let's go see it. Jason's going to be there. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, you rattled off the, the elements that have been under attack, preachers, comedians, uh, now journalism is there. There was one other one you mentioned: preachers, comedians. Uh, there was one you. The, I thought you mentioned the fourth, but I was here. Here's the one. Yeah, I think those are the three you mentioned. The the other one that leads to chaos, and it's connected to what you just said. But the the attack on law enforcement, the entire yeah. Black Lives Matter movement is an attack on law enforcement and it's attack on order. It, 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 you undermine the police to the level that we have 
and you, you're going to have disorder running rampant throughout your society, culture, communities. That's why the smash and grabs and people, we've just basically legalized. You can go in any store, take what you want, do whatever you want. You got incredible violence out in the street, uh, you know, total disregard for law enforcement. And so, yes, they're just slowly. And again, the preachers and the comedians, you know, that's right up my alley because yeah. they're supposed to protect the public square. They're supposed to give us all room to talk about uncomfortable issues and be honest about it. And, and they have retreated and failed because of, of cancel culture. And now when you, when you go after the person who is literally, as you just pointed out, reflecting the reality that we live in today in America, that, hey, look, all these people illegally crossing our border, that's a problem. I'm just that's not racism saying that. That's a problem. Every neighborhood, every house has a door and a lock pretty much for a reason. You know, you want you just don't let anybody in your house, not without some proper screening uh, and not without you know, there's some hoops they have to jump through. It's like literally when when I invite someone to my home, it's as big a compliment as I can pay you because, you know, I'm kind of aloof and a bit of a loner. If I allow you into my home, it, it, it's a statement about how I feel about you and I trust you and I respect you. And, and we don't have that. Anybody can just run across our borders. And, and, and the, the thing that was mind blowing to me is when you argue that someone has the most racist show in the history of cable news. I was sitting there like, whoo, I can't wait to see this proof. I, I can't wait to see what it is that they're gonna back this up with. And literally like the beginning of the article, it irritated me because I was like, hold on, the backup is that he says mass immigration, mass illegal immigration makes America poor and dirtier. That That's the proof, the initial proof that I was, you gotta bring me a better smoking gun than this, but that that speaks to how how low or just I guess it speaks to how little racism there must be in cable news if someone saying that is the big smoking gun to prove that they're racist. No one must be saying anything racist on cable news if that meets the standard in the bar. Jason, actually, this is part of the problem that I have right now with that word racism. It doesn't mean anything at all anymore. You know, that's that's really that really bothers me because the truth is we still have real racism out there. We really do have problems out there with race. But because you've labeled everything racist, you got to remember, by default, according to the new standards of racism, just you being white is racist. So basically, their article should have been over from the beginning sentence, Tucker Carlson or the headline, Tucker Carlson, a racist. Well, duh, we already knew that. Everybody's racist and moving right along. So it doesn't have any teeth anymore. It doesn't have any bite anymore. You know, that's part of the problem with, with this is that it doesn't mean anything. The other thing, though, Jason, I wanted to get to what you're talking about with police officers. We got to remember, this is not just about police officers. They don't want to abolish the police so much as they want to control them. They still need a linchpin to go get you when you decide to exercise your First Amendment right, to exercise your Second Amendment right. Their goal is to try and destroy offices ultimately. 
What they want to do is destroy the office of authority, which is why fatherhood is such an important thing for them to destroy first. They have to destroy the thing that protects the sub subservient folks underneath it. So you got to destroy fatherhood. So then you just then you get access to the kids. You have to take control and revert the authority of the police to go get those people who exercise their freedom outside of what the new um, the new government ideology, secular worldview says you should do. So we we're seeing this is why, again, Tucker has been all over this. I've been watching Tucker now for really seriously, probably the last two and a half years, three years. And man, he started drilling down like no one else has drilled down on the underbelly of society that's seeking to overturn the traditional setup of American society, mainly the foundation of God-given offices and authority and roles. And when he started drilling down on there, the first thing I thought to myself was, oh my goodness, somebody get that man some security. Because there was no one on that level drilling down there. And so there's an ancient proverb that says, when throwing rock into pack of dogs, the one that screams the loudest is the one that got hit. Well, somebody's boss over there, the New York Times, got, has gotten hit pretty hard. And they've sicked their, their little dogs over there on Tucker. And it's just, again, I'm just tickled because this is social media land and world. What you do if you want somebody to go away and you don't want them to be a bother to you, you don't talk about them. That's what you do. You don't talk about them. You let them go quietly into the dark. But these idiots wrote 20,000 plus words and told everybody, <laughs> hey, Tucker Carlson, in case you don't know, he's the guy to watch. It's just amazing to me. That I, I, they don't even have any strategy anymore. They're not even subversive anymore. They just went straight out. They must be extremely def desperate right now to be able to try and knock Tucker off. Well, I love that you connected this to Elon Musk and Twitter I do think they have a strategy. It's an extension of what they had been doing over Twitter. But now with Tucker, they felt like they got to bring out a nuclear weapon. Yeah. But, but the strategy is, Dave, to take the word racism and make it cold word for Christian patriot so that everybody is afraid to say, I'm a Christian and I'm a patriot. I believe in America. And because they know if they stand on their Christian worldview and their love of America, you're going to be painted as a racist or a sympathizer of, of white supremacy. And so that to me is the strategy. They're putting people without backbone in a tough position. And so a lot of people, again, because of fear of being labeled a racist, they will back away from their Christian beliefs and they'll back away from their love of country and start. And again, that, that's why I'll come. You see so many millionaire from the ghetto millionaire athletes pretend like they got a problem with America. They're just pretending you couldn't get them out of here with a million sticks of dynamite. They wouldn't. You could offer them two hundred and fifty billion dollars and they wouldn't move from America because they love it so much. But because the left has. Demonized Christianity and patriotism. People run around and pretend like I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in biblical principles and America is the worst place on the planet. I'm going to say something that might shock you, Jason. Then this is very good for us. 
we, we need them to continue to do this because for, for one reason, sometimes we need to purify our ranks and it's not always easy to do. We are in a very hot battle and we don't need people who are not going to hold to their principles, who are not going to fight the battles that need to be fought, who are not going to stand up and speak the truth. And so if the New York Times is using this in order to try and make people afraid, then let the fearful people fall off. Let the weak people who don't want to commit to the name of Jesus fall off. Let the people who don't want to stand bold and stand strong on the values and the, and the, the, the traditions that built this country, let them fall off. We don't need them for this battle. Now, listen, you're more than welcome to come back once you feel like you found your testicles. But until then, you ain't going to be on the side handing me ammo when I'm shooting at the enemy because I might accidentally shoot you. So let those people fall off and we need them to fall off. So thank you, New York Times. You're doing us a favor. But it does something else, too, though, Jason. It makes people who are bold and who are steadfast in their principles stand stronger. Do you think Tucker Carlson is not going to come out swinging and fighting and hitting harder than he ever has before? Of course he is. You came out swinging and hitting hard. Royce came out swinging. Delano going to come out swinging and hitting hard. They are making the error of purifying our rings and strengthening the people that have a foundation in Christian principles and values. So they only doing us a favor at the end of the day. Mm. That's good stuff, Dave. You got anything else you want to unload before I let you go? Did I miss anything? Well, I, I just want to say I feel bad for you for reading all that trash, man. How much garbage did you have to put in your head from two, over 20,000 words? <laughs> My goodness, brother. I'm praying for you. That's all I got to say. Yeah, I don't read as fast as I used to. And so, it I mean, it took oh. some chunks. I was reading it at an hour chunk at a time and getting up and doing some work and then coming back, uh, taking notes or whatever. But, yeah, I... I, I I'm Dave. I, I'm telling. I'm so. I was so offended by the article because I go on Tucker's show probably once every other week or so, and have yeah. been doing that for the past two years. And and it's like, well, hold up. They're calling me stupid. They're saying right. I'm attending the Klan rally every night. And and again, because when I'm not on the show, I do watch the show. It's the one show that I make it a point to watch. I, I want to be honest. I probably, I make it a point to watch Bill Maher's show. Uh, mm. It's just a once a week show, but I probably catch 75% of Bill Maher's show. Uh, but Tucker Carlson, you know, Tucker Carlson's five nights a week, and I watch 4.5 episodes a week, I would imagine. It's rare for me, me to too. miss. And I'm like, they, they, they're calling me an idiot. They, they're, and and what I'm just like, what show are they watching? All I see on this show is confirming or a celebration or an analysis of my biblical worldview. And again, Tucker's not jamming it down your throat. He's not some preacher or whatever, but his segments and his point of view are consistent with someone that has a Christian worldview. And that's what I'm seeing. And so I, I would like to ask the people that are offended by the show, think it's racist, uh, to ask themselves, like, do you believe in God? Do, or, and do you have any understanding of the principles spelled out in the Bible? You know, as you were talking and thinking about this, how, how racist do you have to be to not ask the black folks and the minorities that come on the show about this. 
How come they didn't? You're right, Jason. How come they didn't say, hey, you know what? Jason Whitlock's he's he's in his 50s. He he knows what racism is like. He's experienced racism before in his life. Hey, does Tucker at least at least try and get you to lie? No, man, Tucker treats me bad all the time. They didn't even try. They didn't even try. They Delano. I mean, so you can't call these folks token. You can't call Royce. You don't call Royce token for real. Like, stop. Nobody believes that. They didn't even do this kind of an insult in two areas. If it's true that you should believe that a black man would understand racism if he experienced it, that that should be a reality right now. Right. That's normative in America. Black people have a third sense or fourth sense for racism. But nobody asked you guys. Right. So they really don't care what black folks think. The, and the other thing is, as a journalist, you just insulted the whole craft of following through with your resources, checking to find out, hey, these guys have had problems with Tucker before. If Tucker was a racist, we would never know because they didn't do the journalism to doggone find out themselves. That's insulting. This is this is just more evidence that they cannot be trusted at the end of the day, Jason. And they're just proving it to the proving it to everybody else. It's clear to us. Dave, I got to run. Thank you. Tell you so, guys about my friends at Bullion Max. As inflation surpasses highs not seen in 40 years, the value of the dollar is decreasing with every passing day. You're paying more at the pump, the grocery store, for cars, for housing. Face it, your paper money is worth less. Friends, the timing couldn't be any better for my new sponsor, Bullion Max. Bullion Max is a direct-to-consumer precious metals retailer that can help you diversify into gold and silver. It's a hedge against inflation. It's also security for your family in times of crisis. And here's why I love Bullion Max. They're owned by veterans in the precious metal space, all for some of the lowest prices on the internet, and they make it so easy to buy directly from their website. I wanna help you get started, so I worked out a special offer with them just for you, get Bullion Max's Silver Starter Kit at Employee Pricing. Just go to bullionmax.com Jason this kit includes five of the most desirable silver products to invest in, including a silver American Eagle and a silver Australian Kangaroo. This offer is limited to just one per household. So get yours now. Go to bullion, B-U-L-L-I-O-N, max, M-A-X dot com slash Jason. Right now, I've already done it. I've got, my, I've got gold. I'm buying silver for my nieces and nephews. This is a great hedge against all of this inflation. You gotta be self-sufficient in these chaotic times. Bullion Max can help you do that. All right, uh, hit the, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock, hit the notifications, hit subscribe. Uh, the Korean Cosell, Steve Kim, X. All right, welcome back. Time for a little sports talk and uh, bring in our main man uh, from the West Coast. Uh, I won't call it the best coast, although I used to. Uh, the Korean Coast Cell, uh, Steve Kim, uh, is going to help us talk about a little overall perspective on the NFL draft. Uh, there's some people analogizing Ja Morant's dad, T. Morant, to LeVar Ball. And we'll continue with the Tucker Carlson conversation and get Steve's take on that. Uh, Steve, welcome back to the show. Let's start here. I, I, I found the NFL draft 
uneventful, uh, or just my interest in it has waned. Uh, John Hadley, our producer, pointed out that like how pass heavy the NFL has become. I think of 18 of the first 21 picks directly involved in the passing game, either as wide receivers or pass rushers or pass defenders. The whole league is pass happy. But my number one takeaway from the draft was that the number one overall pick, mm, 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 Trevon mm. Walker or whatever, to Jacksonville, never made first team yep. all conference. Never made first team all conference. I think that's the first time in the history of the draft. And, and so it just speaks to kind of like where we've gone in the culture in terms of your production, your accomplishments – are, are, are virtually irrelevant. It's whether or not one person or one company sees some potential in you. I, I, I hope this kid pans out, defensive end out of Georgia, but, but they passed up on Aiden Hutchinson, an extremely productive college player who went number two overall, who you know was on everybody's All-American team. That, that's what my takeaway from the NFL draft was like, man, it don't even matter what you did in college at all. Uh, we'll jump over a guy extremely productive and with just as much raw physical ability to take someone who ran a tick faster and jumped a tick higher than someone else at the combine. Uh, 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 your takeaway from the draft. I got, oh, I got one other one. Yeah. I got one other one. This kind of my other takeaway was I think because of name, image, and likeness, jewelry this year at the draft was over the top. Uh, <laughs> these guys had plenty of time to buy expensive jewelry to wear to the draft and floss everywhere. So those would be my three takeaways. All right. So number one, if you're Dan Campbell and the Detroit Lions, you were an instant winner. I'm with you. This is potential versus production then you have to marry that into what is the ceiling for a player and what is his floor. Travon Walker actually had me thinking of you and the Kansas City Chiefs, and I believe you're still on the beat. I, I go back about 15 years ago. Now, he wasn't a number one pick, but he was a top three pick. I remember when the Kansas City Chiefs drafted a guy out of LSU by the name of Tyson Jackson. Do you remember him, Jason? He was yes. out of nowhere. Right. And I remember out of nowhere, he was a top five pick. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. I watched a lot of LSU football in that era where they won their first national title with Les Miles. I remember Glenn Dorsey. Uh, I, I remember their quarterback, Matt Mock. I, I didn't really remember Tyson Jackson. And he didn't exactly become Neil Smith or Art Still. And that's the thing. I love Aiden Hutchinson. In my view, he may not be one of the Bosa brothers. But he's not going to be far off. Also, when you're going to draft an edge player or a guy that can be a little bit versatile, but is thought to be really athletic, I think sacks is a huge stat. You have to have the ability to get to the quarterback. There's a lot of rough, rugged, physical players that are very valuable on that front line. You don't draft them in the top five. When I think of a top five defender, I'm thinking of guys like Lawrence Taylor, Reggie White, if he didn't go to the USFL, he may have been the number one pick. 
you think of instant impact, a guy that you say from day one or by the second year, that's the anchor of our defense. That's our best guy. And you're right. Look, does Trevon Walker test well in shorts and T-shirts running through college? Absolutely. Was he part of this basic NFL defense at Georgia? Yes, he was a cog, but he wasn't necessarily the centerpiece. So I thought right off the bat, if you're Jacksonville, Jason, if you think Trevon Walker is your guy, you have to then gauge the other draft board saying, all right, who else in our spot is going to take him number one? And can we trade down to get more draft capital to get him at five or six? Now, if they would have done that, it would have been much more prudent. The other thing about the jewelry, years ago when we were much younger men, even though we've aged well, Jason, they used to call it the Mr. T starter kit when it came to jewelry. Now it's called the NFL draft choice starter kit. You're right. These guys were flossing more than a dentist. Let me give you a, another older analogy. The, the Chiefs years ago in the 90s took an offensive tackle out of Michigan named Trezell Jenkins in the first round. Mm. And it was all based off measurables and potential. Guy never played a drop in Kansas City. I actually had <laughs> covered his career in Michigan and questioned the pick day one uh, to the chagrin of the Chiefs front office uh, because <laughs> the guy played on the offensive line at Michigan. And my whole background in college, I was coached by Michigan's former offensive line coach, Bo Schembechler. We ran the Michigan offense, taught all the same techniques. And so it's like, I watched Trezell Jenkins play and I knew exactly what he was supposed to be doing and his footwork and all that. And I was like, this dude can't play. What are the Chiefs doing? This is crazy. <laughs> Got incredible measurables. He's six foot seven and blah, blah, blah. But yet a lot of times this just doesn't work out. And, and I, when I think of Walker and I think of playing on that defense, it's not like they were getting double and triple teaming him. They couldn't because there's so many other great players on the Georgia defense. The Georgia defense plays with a lead most of the time uh, over the last couple of years, and the guy wasn't getting to the quarterback frequently. Jason, the centerpiece of that defense is Jordan Davis, who the Eagles got. He's a space-eating guy. Now, do I think Jordan Davis is like a worn sap? I don't think he has a natural pass rush ability or the fluidity to bend inside the way Sapp did. But he was the guy that every time you lined up, you had to say, we're going to lose the A-gap battle. I thought the most consistent player on that defense was a guy that slid, N'Kobe Dean. I don't care about his measurables. I don't care about his medical past or if he has any red flags. That guy's a real football player. Trevon Walker tested well. And when it comes to testing and overdrafting a player based on stuff like the combine, Mike Mamula out of Boston College. I'll never forget, Mike Mabula was a pretty good ball player at Boston College. He was a second or third round pick and was used as a situational edge rusher. He would have been okay. But all of a sudden, he gets to the combine and looks like Bruce Jenner when he was Bruce. And all of a sudden, he shot into the top 10. So I, that's the one thing about Bill Parcells, why he was one of the great football men. He never really cared about testing. He would actually look at the tape and say one thing, is that guy a football player or not? And then when it comes to draft value, what Jimmy Johnson would say, do you draft a guy in that slot? Is it worth it? The other thing, my other takeaway, Jason, add to your point, is the concentration of talent is really seems to be at one conference in a couple of schools. Think about this. Jamison Williams, who the Lions got, I love that pick because I actually think he could be a true number one. Think about this, Jason. 
He actually was at Ohio State, but was so far down the depth chart behind other NFL guys, he said, forget it. I got to go to a team like Bama. They need wide receiver help. Top 15 pick. You look at Georgia's defense. That whole defense was basically drafted. It's funny because there's a young man by the name of Tyreek Stevenson who's with the Miami Hurricanes now. When he was healthy last year, he was by far the best Miami Hurricane defender. That's how deep Georgia's defense is. That you look at that room, you literally have backups that could probably start for about 80% of the other programs in the country. Well, I think we have to attribute Walker getting drafted that high because of a couple of comments we both made in, in conjunction or to combine. One, I think Jacksonville was like, oh, he's really good, but he's not a Bosa. He's not Bosa good. And so they mm -hmm. went with the guy that they think on paper could be Miles Garrett right. or Bosa good. And that, again, th this goes back to just how pass happy the league is and finding your Miles Garrett or a Bosa brother uh, is just that important, or, or T.J. Watt is just that important. But I'm sorry, if, if I'm going defensive end and I'm going to bend to the will of, you know, the, the league and, and the pass happy, I, I'm going with the guy that did it. And I know that uh, he did not look that good in the playoff game uh, against that SEC competition. But I'm sorry, if, if you can get it, the Bosa's played in the Big Ten and were dominant. This guy, Hutchinson, played in the Big Ten and was dominant. I w There's just no way I would have gone with potential over productivity, but people do crazy things. The Jags are the Jags for a reason. <laughs> right, and Jason, if you're the Jaguars, you have Trevor Lawrence. You literally need to, to refill that whole roster with a lot of talent. So my view is this. If, if you say, like, as you just stated, hey, we don't have a dominant Bosa-like type of individual, Take that first pick, and if we can get another first-rounder or maybe another second or third-rounder, and then get stay within the top 10, and then take your chances of getting the guy you got at number one but adding two or three other picks. Or if Trevon Walker goes off the board, then you say, okay, it is what it is. Now you've got to get Trevor Lawrence some help. I, I, Christian Kirk is a nice free agent pickup. He's a third receiver for the Cardinals, very good punt returner. But who's his number one receiver? So if you have a Trevor Lawrence, you have to do what the Dallas Cowboys did and understand that's the centerpiece with Troy Aikman. And we got to build around him. Trevon Walker, it'll be very interesting in my view to see if he ever gets more than six, seven sacks in a season. That's one of those statistics that translate. I don't know of a lot of players that are playing an edge rush position that didn't get a lot of college sacks that all of a sudden become Deacon Jones at the next level. Let's switch topics. NBA playoffs are starting to get interesting. We're, we're out of the first round. Uh, but one of the topics uh, going around over Twitter that I wanted to get your take on was uh, T. Morant, Ja Morant's dad. He was kind of a bit of a little news story in the first round because he and Cat Williams are uh, <laughs> Carl Anthony Towns' dad. Uh, Cat Williams, <laughs> he and Cat's dad were at the uh, playoffs together or whatever. Well, now here in the second round, people are acting like maybe he's comparable to LeVar Ball. He here's the little comment that I think sparked uh, his little, he, he, someone interviewed him about 
Ja's performance in the first round, and he had a bit of a, I thought, sarcastic response. Let's check it out. How would you say Ja played in this series? Ja played like trash. Oh, he did? Yeah, trash. (laughs) (laughs) And so he's on the sidelines or on the front court side sitting with rappers. He's kind of animated during the games, and and the cameras seem to love him. Uh, This morning we were debating – Corey and Justin are two of our young producers that love the NBA. We're kind of on different uh, ends of the spectrum on this. Corey wasn't bothered by it. Justin was slightly bothered by it. Like, yeah, I think this guy loves attention as a bit of a ham. There is a little LeVar Ball in him. Uh, do we think T. Morant is going to end up the new LeVar Ball? Well, I'm beginning to think T. Morant belongs in boxing because if you want to talk about overbearing fathers who don't know how to let go and aren't always necessarily a net positive for their son's career, he's in the wrong game. And does he love attention? Of course. That's why he's doing an interview. Uh, That's why he is out there at games uh, garnering so much attention. But as you brought up this uh, subject to me, I believe yesterday, Jason, it brought about a story about how much the things have changed in the NBA and the whole culture of fatherhood and players. Let's go back to 1985. The Lakers get blown out in game one of the NBA finals. It's called the Memorial Day Massacre. I'll never forget it, Jason. It was on a Monday afternoon. We had blown the 84 finals, us being the Lakers. It's the most depressing summer of my life when they lost to the Celtics in seven games. I've never actually seen our city react to a sports defeat quite like that to this day, Jason. I'm not exaggerating. So game one happens, Lakers get blown out 148 to 114, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar absolutely got pummeled like Randall Tex Cobb against Larry Holmes by Robert Parrish. Parrish beat his brains in like I've never seen, and people were writing obituaries in our papers about Kareem is done, he's washed up. The next two days of practice, Pat Riley ended up just belaboring the point to Kareem, and Kareem, to his credit, like a man, took it. He was the first guy in the film room, and they would replay these certain segments where Parrish was just beating him down the court, making him look like an old man. So for 48 hours, he took an absolute ribbing and a beating from Pat Riley. The story that stands out where Pat Riley, I thought, cemented his status as a leader of men and how well-raised Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was and the character of him as an individual, there was one rule on the Lakers in the 80s that nobody could break, not even Magic. No fathers were allowed on the team bus. So we're down one nothing coming into that game two, most pivotal game in Laker history in my view, Jason. So everyone's going at the hotel. Everyone's saying their goodbyes. Pat Riley comes up to Kareem, and he sees him with his father. Kareem walks away and he goes, hey, Cap, can I talk to you? He knew what he had done to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar verbally the last couple of days. And he said, hey, Cap, um, if you want, why don't, you, why don't your father ride with us on the team bus? I mean, everyone was stunned. Because Pat Riley said, I knew what a father meant at that point. The man never interfered. I didn't really know who he was. But I had beaten Kareem down so bad, I knew he kind of needed his father's words coming into that game, too. And for the first and only time, a father was allowed by Pat Riley on the team bus. And Kareem played this inspired game. And he became the NBA Finals MVP at the age of 37 against the front line of Bird, Parrish, and McHale. But you know what's funny with Kareem's father? They would show him once in a while on CBS alongside Magic's dad once in a while, but you never saw them doing interviews. You never heard them. They were very disciplined, accomplished men, and you realize 
they did a great job of being fathers. Basketball was just something that they did. But from the time they started out, they believed in, hey, we're going to raise a good individual and they're just going to happen to play basketball. Not so sure that that exists across the board to this day. In other words, with Kareem and his father, less was more. Only thing I'll say in defense of the modern fathers today is that there's so much more need for content than there was back then. 85, most people got three or four television networks on their TV. There's no internet, there's no websites, there's no media platforms on Spotify or YouTube or anywhere. And so now there's so much more of a demand for content that you start looking for it in places where you previously wouldn't look for it. And so people are asking dads for interviews where previously that was like, I ain't got time for that. I work for the LA Times. I need quotes from Norm Nixon and you know the guys on the Lakers team. I'm not gonna be able to get a story in about Kareem's father and some blah, blah, blah. And so I, I think that social media in particular and the internet has made everybody their own little personal reality TV show. And so T. Morant looks to be trying to launch his little brand and career. He's Ja Morant's dad, and, and so he's being a bit flamboyant and out there because he wants to build his own brand, uh, perhaps. Uh, and, and so I, I'm just... I don't know if I can say, how would Kareem's father be in this era? Would he be more like Richard Williams or mm -hmm. LeVar Ball? Or would he be, you know, old school when, again, wasn't people looking for him asking questions? And so he didn't. He just kind of played the background. I, 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 tell me this, because we debated this. I would, th these guys, do you think T. Morant was being serious when he said his son played like trash in the first round? I thought, it, I thought it was a joke and he was trolling and just saying he was just trying to be funny. Young guys this morning think he was halfway serious. In my view, and I'm going to give T. Morant a little credit, at least not he's not being a sycophant. In my way, that's his version of tough love. Like, okay, get better. You can never be satisfied. You know, it, it's interesting in boxing. I see this all the time. The fathers are either really, really too tough on their sons or they – are blinded by their own family genetics and can't see the truth. There, there are very few fathers that I've seen in this sport, and I've covered all of them, that really have a balanced view of what their sons are, where their sons are, and what their sons can be as fathers. I actually think, I'll give Team Morant credit, it's refreshing in his own way that he's pushing his son that, hey, you haven't lifted the Larry O'Brien cup or trophy. Get better. Because honestly, all he did is get past the first round, right? You don't hang banners up for that. So in that sense, I'll give him credit. All right, let's uh, transition to what we've been talking about earlier in the show. I, I was told you have a take on uh, the hit piece, <laughs> the 20, well, 30,000 word hit piece geez. on Tucker Carlson. I mean, literally, one of my takeaways, uh, Steve, is like they have – portrayed Tucker Carlson by, by sp spilling this much ink. He must be the most important TV newsman since Walter Cronkite. <laughs> I mean, you just don't, 
who gets 20, 30,000 words written about him in a newspaper in 2022? I've never seen it in my entire career. Uh, You know, they're calling him this show the most racist show in cable news history. I I don't know. What's your take? Well, first of all, that thing read longer than War and Peace, but it's clear that the New York Times, along with most legacy corporate media entities, are now advocates or activists. They're not journalists. To me, that story could have been fair if they, as you pointed out in your column, they would have talked to some black Americans that enjoy the show, that participate, that may agree with them, or maybe examine, is he any more racist or not than uh, who's that really bitter lady? Oh, Joy Reid on MSNBC. And, and, but the, the, <laughs> the whole article read to me and, and in the immortal words of Greta Thunberg. Oh, Greta, remember her? How dare you? How dare you have a message that is doing better than us? It's, it's all it was with whining is that he goes against our approved messaging. He does it on a nightly basis. He does it well. And the greatest crime that he's committing is being successful. What I didn't really understand about the story is they kept saying how he kept saying untruths and he kept saying lies. He kept pointing to that, but they didn't give a specific example where it was proven that he lied. Again, it's one thing to have a disagreement over a point or even an opinion. But if you're going to delve into it and really go that deep into labeling Tucker Carlson, the grand wizard of the KKK, Give us an example of why he said something that was incorrect and delve into it. It's one thing to be accusatory, which is fine, but I think then it upon it is incumbent upon you to show how flawed something he said was. I'm not so sure they ever really did that. They didn't. Steve, I got to let you go. Great job as always. Glad you made it back from Las Vegas. Uh, get your Fearless Army swag at shopblazemedia.com slash fearless. Jimmy in the approval rating. Eric. We must exist in a state of man glorious as we are protected by the red, the white, and the blue. But remember, the mind is the key. The fearless soldier pledges to place God first and foremost in his everyday endeavors of life. We, the fearless army, are one nation under God, indivisible with freedom and a belief in the American dream. The men bold enough to join our movement comprise what we like to call the new dream team. We are leaders of our families, our churches, and of this nation. We reject the seeds of division that are planted by corporate media misinformation. We affirm that all men are created equal and are endowed with inalienable rights, which are granted by our heavenly father. We are bound by honor to accept God's challenge, to take the flag and lead, to cherish, to protect, and to nurture the life of our unborn seed. I am a fearless soldier, so shed no tears for me. I am not a victim. I am the man that God made me to be.
Amen. All right, welcome back. Time for the approval rating segment. Uncle Jimmy's here. We spent much of the show uh, talking about uh, Tucker Carlson and uh, the 2030. I thought I had to. Well, you know what? I, I, I didn't say this earlier, but oh boy, the only thing I could compare this to is the the uh, hit pieces Deadspin used to write on me in the early 2010s, and they were books, uh, but not as long and not as thorough as this one. Uh, Tucker Cross is mighty important, so at the very least, uh, uh, at the very least, he's the most important man, so I can't imagine us both not being high on his approval rating. I'm just amazed at the fact that they call him Tucker a racist, and they said that this is the most racist show on television. Because to me, if you ask my opinion of one of the most racist shows on the airwaves, I'd probably say it's The Breakfast Club. Ain't that where Joe Biden went and said, if you don't vote for Joe Biden, you ain't black. <laughs> now, that's some of the most racist mess I've ever heard in my life. Joe, that's a good one. I didn't know where you were going to go with that. That's a very good one, The Breakfast Club. But I would say in the cable news world, uh, have, has, have they not watched Joy Reid? Have you, have you remember racial, that? Racial Maddow, I like to call her. Don's Lemonade. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah, they, I, I'm just saying, Joy Reid pretty much every day or most days goes on some racial attack or her guests go on some racial attack. So She's so angry. Yeah. Racial I mean, she fits Maddow. that stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> She's angry. Yeah. The angry black black woman. Well, I didn't say this. Well, you, said, you, you forced me to say it. All right, let's go. Let's go. Tucker Carlson job performance. Uh, I'm not. Only reason I'm not giving him a perfect score is because when it comes to, I'm not giving him a perfect score because I just can't. Because I feel like I'm the gold standard, and uh, I'm. If I gave him a perfect score, I'd be saying he's better than me. I, and I figured that's probably why you only gave him a 24. Just yeah. not because you're the gold standard, just because you're the golden child. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> so in other words, you know, you, 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 I give him a 25. Say what you want to, bro. He's got to be doing something right. Anytime you bring out the haters like this, ain't that what grandma say? When you're trying to do right, you, you, you're going to get some flat. You got to shake them haters off. You're doing something right, man. Come on. Uh, character. Uh... I'll give him a 20. I don't know if you know this, but, uh, and I, I'm not saying this to embarrass him, but, you know, Tucker used to be kind of a party boy. Uh, loved it. And and he'll tell you. He was he was a fan of the booger sugar. Yeah, he liked the booger sugar and, and uh, liked to drink. Now, again, that's not him now. Uh, and we all got our pass. Uh, but so, you know. That that's him for, and again, I got my past as well. So don't ever give me a perfect score in character either, regardless of what I what I think of myself or how I present myself. So I'll give him a twenty in character. I give him a twenty-one. I, I give him a twenty-one. And, and you 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 brought up that, you know, I, I I like him from the past. I liked him when he used to try to, you know, he was the only white boy I knew to dress like a Muslim. <laughs> he did used to love the bow tie. I mean, you know, I'd be like, hey, hey, white boy, let me get a bow, let me get a bean pie. But you know, I like you, man. He's, he, he's, you know, he's a twenty-one. I give him a twenty-one because he says what he means and he sticks to it, man. He don't waver from it, man. I got that's that's a rarity in America. Come on, man. Bled over a little bit into authenticity. I find him very authentic. 
you know, he's got the boldness to say exactly what he believes and damn the consequences. And right now the consequences are millions of viewers and millions of dollars. So uh, I give him a 22 in authenticity. Uh, I'm going to give him a 20. I'm just going to give him a 20. But let me just say this. You know, one of the things you didn't bring up that I remember Tucker doing, Tucker was one of the first ones that spoke out against this administration saying, no, them numbers aren't that high for this corona. He, he was one of the first ones that came out and said, no, 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 no. Th- 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 this is not what's going on. So he, he's been on this road, man. I've been a big Tucker fan, and he's been true. He hasn't wavered. Uh, it factor uh, couldn't go too high. Went high. His ratings are incredible, but I still haven't gotten over the bow tie, Tucker. <laughs> Uh, and you know that kind of made him look like an Ivy League, Ivy League elite nerd, with or whatever. The yeah. So I gave him a twenty in it factor, and that, you know those five points are just because in it, the previous iteration he, he wore a bow tie. Listen, I'm gonna give him a twenty-five. I'm gonna give the credit where credit is due. The man tells it like it is. Tucker Carlson tells uncomfortable truths, and that's something that's missing in the media with America today. Is telling the truth. Good job, brother. <laughs> you done gave him the black power sign. That's probably racist, Jim. <laughs> uh, anyway, J- I've got him at an 86, a smoke show. Uh, Jim has him at blazing hot. How could you not have him rated high? Anybody that's you, you, He was going to be a 91 on your chart, but you just had to take away a couple of points just because. Yeah. It was one show he didn't have you host. He had somebody else host. I'm sure I know that's what you get me for. That's probably, that's probably it. <laughs> All right, that's tomorrow. That's tomorrow. I had a disappointing conversation with tomorrow this weekend. I'll have to get into that off there. <laughs> she said, not today or tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll see you tomorrow.